Hi there, this is Steve, but this isn't the beginning of the show. Before we begin, I invite you to check out my free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence. If you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or leader with financial responsibility in your company, you'll definitely not want to miss this one. I'll cover how a winning strategy combined with operational excellence drives higher cash flow and firm value. You can watch it for free at cultbar.com. I'll also link it in the show notes below. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the Strategic Financial Leadership Podcast, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professionals who want to elevate their game and reach new levels of abundance and success. I'm Steve Coffrin, the founder of Coltvar, and I've spent my entire career growing and turning around companies, and together we'll explore the latest happenings in the world of strategy and finance. Let's do this. Before we begin, just remember that this podcast is for educational purposes and the information shared herein should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Check out our terms and conditions in the show notes to learn more. Now on to the show. So today I'm excited to do something a little bit different and I have Lorette Select on the podcast today and Lorette, she is the person who's responsible for bringing everything together on the podcast. So I'm excited to have her here today. She is going to ask some questions. She, and we're going to have a conversation because we have a lot of conversations around the office, but we thought it'd be good for some of the listeners to hear a little bit more about these conversations that we're having. So welcome, Lorette. Thanks for all that you do to make the SFL podcast so wonderful. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, you bet. So yeah, um, as you were mentioning, we do talk a lot around the office, um, but I was wondering if you could share with our listeners your experience as a CFO and kind of what that looked like for you. Sure. Yeah. You know, my experience as a CFO, it was a a great experience. So I I was a CFO of a company that was in construction and renewable energy. So it's a successful company and they they had a a 50-year track record building commercial and industrial projects throughout the United States. But it also um, underneath this company was another one of our business lines, which was into utility scale solar, which was a, a really exciting field because, you know, as renewable energy continues to grow throughout the, the United States and throughout the world, we have the opportunity to build many of these projects and to bring them online. So as a CFO, you know, I wasn't just involved in the numbers, right? And telling the story behind the numbers and, and meeting with bankers and investors and other stakeholders, but also I had the unique opportunity to play a heavy role in the strategy of the business. That to me was extremely rewarding because, you know, I talk a lot about strategic financial leadership on this podcast and how we push financial leaders to look beyond just the numbers and really take a bigger role in this strategy um, of their organizations. And, and I had the unique opportunity to work with a lot of smart individuals in very successful businesses in sectors that were really interesting, like solar and renewable energy. Awesome. Yeah. So what was your strategy approach for those um, corporations and companies that you worked for? Yeah, great question. So the strategy approach that we adopted in, in the business was was built around the framework that I've used with organizations, you know, for a number of years um, with Coltvar. And that framework is called IAR. So it's built around um, establishing initiatives, defining actions, and then leading with results. You know, creating an organization that's results oriented. So that's what we did. And and really, you know, when it comes to strategy, it's really garbage in, garbage out. So if you don't get your initiatives right. You can have initiatives that you're pursuing. You could be tracking initiatives, but if they're not really good initiatives, you know, your strategy is going to be flawed. So, you know, when we defined initiatives, we'd always focus our initiatives on doing these four things. 
So first, you know, initiatives, they have to solve a strategic problem. So defining the strategic problem for each of our businesses was really, really critical. And, um, you know, together with their executive teams and with their, their leadership teams, we would define these strategic problems and we would define these initiatives to overcome these strategic problems, these big problems that each of these organizations were having. Then we would also focus our initiatives on driving a better customer experience also initiatives that would lead to competitive advantages, and then initiatives that would allow us to be more innovative out there in the marketplace. So that's how we focused our initiatives around those four criteria. If initiatives weren't touching on at least one of those things, um, we knew that the initiative probably was off track. And so we would define each of these initiatives specific to each of the businesses. And I I think the key here is exactly that. You know, If you have a generic strategy that you try to roll out to every single company you know, with the same initiatives, it's really hard to do that because it's not super relevant. So that's how we did it. We rolled out these, these initiatives. We set key results. We were very clear on the actions um, that we were pursuing and that we were dedicating resources to. And, you know, we were, we were focused on being a results oriented organization with a process, a strategy process that was very repeatable and very scalable. Awesome. Yeah. So it sounds like defining those initiatives and making them really specific, being results oriented, having all those things. So those things all worked well for you. What are some things that didn't work well for you or you realized throughout the process that maybe it wasn't the best strategy or you struggled with? Sure. Good question. I I think the biggest thing is communication. You know, when it comes to communicating the strategy at all different levels. So the uh, the organization that I was CFO over, I mean, we're a pretty good sized uh, company and we were spread out geographically, both in the United States and we had an office over in Australia and, you know, trying to communicate the strategic priorities or those initiatives all the way from the top down to the front line was challenging. So that's probably where a lot of these lessons learned came from is, is in the communication process because you know it, it's all fine and well if the leadership team understands the initiatives, but if management in the front line, they don't understand you know what the initiatives are and, and what the priorities are, then it's difficult to implement the strategy at scale, right? You know, across the board. So, you know, what we learned from that is with communication, you know, there's different channels and there's different medium out there that will allow you to, to get your message out there. Sometimes, you know, an email from the top of outlining some very high level things works well. Sometimes communication needs to come in the form of in-person, you know, one-on-one conversations. Uh, sometimes it's in a small group setting, but I think the key in, in all of this is the communication has to be relevant and the strategy has to be boiled down to, you know, this big high level you know, bold, ambitious plan. And it has to be boiled down. So each individual understands how it affects their role, right. And, and what they're doing in the, in the company and they understand how they can contribute. And then they understand what's in it for them as well. And I think, you know, strategies that are really vague and v- very generic, it's hard for employees at all levels to really understand like how they can play a part in it and like how they can execute and contribute. And then that's where, you know, strategy starts to unravel when it comes to execution. Absolutely. Awesome. You made some really great points there. And it sounds like communication is really key, but it can also be very time consuming. I mean, you're talking about sending out emails to people and in-person communication. I know that people say that they can spend all day responding to emails. Um, So how do you streamline that process and how did you learn to manage your time? So you're balancing strategy, communication, all these different aspects. 
Yeah. And that's a great question. And going back to uh, what didn't work well, you know, I have to admit, like I would be so busy in the CFO role, you know, just in meetings and, and trying to manage like my time with all the stakeholders and all the, the people that demanded things from me and, and, and that needed my time. And probably one of my biggest failures early on was not getting out of my office or breaking free from these meetings and like walking around. Which sounds, you know, so simple, but is is hard for me to implement because, like I said, there's just so much on my plate and so many time pressures that, um, you know, I just find myself in my office or in meetings or offsite. So it wasn't until, you know, I started walking around, right, like freeing myself from my desk, walking around, talking to employees, that I really understood the impact of my role. So I think going back to communication and like balancing it, sometimes communication came in very informal settings, right? I'd be in an elevator with another colleague. I'd ask them, you know, Hey, what are you working on? What are you excited about? Um, Or I'd ask them like, do you know what the strategy is of the company? And then by gauging that, I would understand, okay, how well is our communication working? Because if employees couldn't even repeat back what our strategy was, I knew that there was an issue, right? So I think, you know, getting out of my seat, putting myself in a situation where I could walk around and, and have these informal communications was really important. But it, it also helped me understand as a CFO, you know, everybody's role a little bit better. Like when I'd go visit job sites, for example, like I flew out to Australia, looked at a few of our solar projects that were getting going, or when I went out to other projects, whether it was in Dallas or in Chattanooga. And, you know, when I got out there on site, you know, with my boots on, with the hard hat, uh, it wasn't until then that I could really empathize with employees and understand from their perspective how this all fit together. Awesome. Yeah. So it sounds like communication can be as simple as riding the elevator with another colleague or even getting up to get a, grab a glass of water. But it sounds like you're really busy with all of this. How do you manage your work-life balance and how do you make time for at home? Hey, real quick, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you're an entrepreneur or business leader and you want to take your game to the next level or you want to avoid being crushed out there during these uncertain times, be sure to check out our free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence by visiting cultivar.com or through our Boosting Your Financial IQ app. I'll link this in the show notes as well. I'm also offering some freebies, so be sure to check it out. Now back to the show. Sure. And I think it's, you know, that's a good question. I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with, you know, especially now, you know, with COVID and everything else, I think the lines between like personal life and professional life became really blurred, right? Because I found myself just like working more and like working in hours where normally I dedicate that time towards family or other things. You know, I found myself, you know, working because the lines were just so blurry, right? Like we're working at home. Everybody's trying to like figure out how they deal with daycare and uh, manage their new schedules and everything else. So I, I think it became very blurry, but I think for me, you know, trying to like balance everything means that if you're balancing stuff, you know, you're trying to give equal weight to, and I, I just don't think that's feasible. So I, I think sometimes in life things are unbalanced, right? And that's okay. Like sometimes we were working on a deal and I'd be putting in a ton of hours because we had a close date. You know, there are certain things that we had to prepare in order for the deal to go through. And I was cranking out and working a ton of hours. Uh, there were other times where, you know, things were a little bit looser and I'd dedicate more time towards family or towards ecclesiastical responsibilities or whatever it was. So I, I think the key though, is that each day I would start my morning with a routine that was like solely focused on me. 
So I, I like to run. So I'd get up really early and I knew that between four 30 or five o'clock till, you know, six o'clock or six 30, that that was my time. And I really needed that time because that was one way that I was able to decompress and, and kind of let go of some of my stress and, and just do some of my best thinking. So like prioritizing time for ourselves, which may sound selfish, was really important for me because by doing that, it was, it was like the metaphoric put on your oxygen mask before you help anybody else. That really helped me. And then there's times where you know I probably wasn't super balanced at home. I was working a lot. And then there's other times where I was more focused on home and, and work took a, a little bit of a backseat. So I think that's how I, I try to manage things. Definitely not perfect, always trying to be better, but uh, it is doable if we're focused and we, we set boundaries. Absolutely. Yeah. I think setting aside time for yourself and taking that time, the lines have become really blurred. Do you see that becoming less blurred now that things are starting to go back into person? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, I think, you know, we're still seeing some blurriness out there because organizations are trying to figure out, okay, do we come back to work full time? Do we work the, in this hybrid environment? And I think, you know, what COVID did is it taught us how to work differently and, and more effectively. So I, I think there'll still be blurriness between, you know, personal life and professional life. I just, I think that's the nature of, of work and, and where we're heading, but it has some advantages as well, because now we may not be as bound geographically, which can be good, right? I could be in California and I could be on a vacation with my family, but I could also hop on a Zoom call. Uh, I could be doing other things, which is great. But uh, I mean, I think as people start getting back into the office, those lines will be less blurry, but I think there'll still be blurriness to them moving forward. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so kind of going off that with this new era of confusion, almost with in-person, virtual, things are starting to get back to normal. What kind of trends are you seeing currently and especially like in the market in general? Well, I, I think organizations are, they're, they're trying to figure out like, what does work look like? And some organizations are saying, hey, we want everybody back in the office. And then I think some organizations are starting to rethink what those schedules look like and starting to create a little bit of flexibility. I do think for a while there, teams and organizations, they were living off the goodwill of the past. Right. So teams, they, they built a lot of goodwill and a lot of camaraderie, right? Working together for all these years. And I think when a crisis or a situation like COVID 19 hits, you can work from home or in a remote setting for a while, but eventually that goodwill starts to wear off. And I think organizations are realizing there is value to in person. There is value to having like these high performing teams that can collaborate with one another, that can communicate in a setting beyond just like on Slack or on Teams or whatever. So I, I think people are coming back to work. And when they come back to work, I think they're more grateful than ever to, to see human beings and to have this interaction. Yeah, it's been really interesting um, as mask mandates are lifted to see people smiling again and human faces. I think it's been really interesting. Absolutely. So let's switch gears over to discuss your experience with transforming companies. I know that at Cultivar, we really believe in helping companies reverse, reset, and renew their operations. Can you describe more about how to know if you need a turnaround or a transformation and if you are in that place where you just need some help? Yeah, good question. I, I, and I'll, I'll step back here just a little bit before I, I directly answer your question. You know, I've, I've always been about transformation. Like I, I like the idea of transforming something into something entirely new. 
Like I, I use the analogy all the time, like taking sand and then transforming it into glass, right? And once it's transformed into glass, it'll never go back to sand. Even if you break it in a million pieces, it'll never go back. And I think that's really cool um, about transformation. And so transformations, you know, that's the highest level category. You could have digital transformations, brand transformations, all different types of transformations. But really at Cultivar, what we're passionate about is like this business transformation, taking an organization, you know, reinventing their strategy, their structure, their operating model, training their employees, empowering them, you know, implementing these, this technology, doing all these things to help them to become this organization that they never once were, right? An organization that could grow, that can innovate, that could be more resilient. That's really exciting to me. And I think like when it comes to turnarounds and transformations, to answer your question, how do you know if you need a transformation? Well, I think, you know, issues in organizations, they really unfold in three different phases. You know, the first one is a strategic crisis starts to emerge. So organizations are going along, right? They're successful, but the way that they did business in the past may not be working for them anymore, or their strategy isn't working. So they've, they've tried multiple strategies, but the strategies just aren't, you know, delivering the results that they need. So the strategic crisis starts to unfold and it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. So revenue may start to decline a little bit. You may have higher employee turnover. Morale may go down in the organization. Customers you know, may start disappearing and, and going over to other competitors. So that, those are just some early signs that your strategy may not be working. So that, that's a strategic crisis. If the strategic crisis isn't fixed, then it leads into a profit crisis because revenue starts to decline costs start going up because you're less efficient. You have higher turnover, which drives up your labor cost. Then you start having these, this profit crisis and you really start seeing the impact on your profit and loss statement. Then if you don't fix the profit crisis, it leads into a liquidity crisis. And because you don't have the profits, you know, you start running tight on cash flow. You hit some liquidity issues. You may be tapping into a line of credit to make payroll. You have bankers or other investors who may take over your company and take away your freedom to make the decisions or to manage the company the way that you want to. So to answer your question, how do you know if you need a turnaround and transformation? I would argue that almost every organization out there can be looking hard and fast at a transformation. If you can catch it early on, when you start to notice cracks in your strategy, in your operating model, and the way that you're structured, and if you can fix it then, the upside is so much greater. It's organizations that deny that they need a transformation. They say, oh, we're good. You know, things have been working this way for years and, and you know, we don't have to worry about anything. We're just going to focus on operations, focus on delivering products and services in the same way. Those organizations are the ones that go through those phases, strategic crisis, profitability crisis to liquidity crisis. And when you go in there to try to fix them in the liquidity crisis, that's the turnaround, right? That's where you're going in there. It's not as uh, fun to do a turnaround for organizations because then they got to make a lot of tough decisions, make some cuts that, that are, are very disruptive to the business. So long story short, if you could catch it early on, that's when organizations can really benefit and, um, and really have a higher probability of, of driving greater value then and into the future. That's all really great information. Thank you so much for sharing. Could you possibly give an example of how you've transformed a company or you've kind of brought new life into companies, so to speak, and innovated them for new growth? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I was working with a company, they're about 30 years old. They're really successful. 
in their uh, their business line. They're they're a service company, and they you know they had a lot of success. They had a lot of profitable years. There's just a few years that they weren't profitable in their history. But then over time. I guess leadership got a little bit complacent. They were used to having these key customers that were super loyal to the organization. There wasn't a lot of competition in their space. So they just treated it as business as normal, right? And instead of taking those profits that they earn and reinvesting them into the business, they were you know, stripping out the, the excess cash out of the business and they were using it to benefit some of the, the investors and stakeholders which is fine, right? But instead of reinvesting in their business and constantly reinventing it, uh, they got a little complacent. So what happened is that you know we came in at the, the profitability crisis phase. Good thing, right? Because you get into liquidity crisis is much more difficult for the organization. But we came in at, at, during the profitability crisis phase. We realized that the organization was losing money. Their costs were going up. You know, key employees were leaving. So what we did is we revisited the strategy, and the strategy that the organization was following was just stale. Like what they do is they they just take their strategic planning document each year, roll it forward, add some new initiatives. They they weren't really strategic. They were just creating like a laundry list of things to do. So going in there and, and really looking at, okay, what is your shared vision? Looking at their market focus and position, helping them define you know, how they were going to compete and how they were going to compete in a way that was different from their competitors. And then really understanding the returns that they're earning on their strategy, like going through that process, allow them to reposition themselves in the marketplace. And in the process, we had to restructure their company, right? We had to take the way that they're structured and um, change some things around. But okay, with the help of leadership, because hey, I, I can't take all responsibility for this at all. You know, it was, it was the team that worked really, really hard to bring this about. But you know, the team came together, they were unified, they're really excited about this. And when they started to see these these results, you know, it made them even more excited. And this trickled down, you know, all the way from the top to the bottom of the organization. Everybody was excited, they were working towards new things. And then I went away for a little bit. Cause I, I left them in a good spot. I went away and I, I still kept in contact, but then I went back to their office and I revisited them. And it was, it was so rewarding to see employees that felt so beaten down in the past. And they were like re-energized. They're so excited about their job. Or, you know, I looked at the projects that they were doing on a totally different scale. And just like the morale and the energy and everything in the organization was so much better. And like the, the leadership, they were excited once again. Profits were up, right? They were able to take those profits, reinvest them into the business. They were digital. They were using technology. And just all these things was just really exciting. And it, it made me feel really good that I had the opportunity to be with such a great organization and such a great team um, who is part of this transformation process. Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure it was so rewarding not only to see the business succeed and get on a better path, but also to see all those people. I mean, I know you always talk about with Cultivar, we transform people's business, which in turn transforms people's lives. I mean, that's their livelihood. And I'm sure that's just so rewarding to see how it's transformed. I think it's great work that you're doing. Well, and, I, and that's a that's an interesting point because a lot of times, you know, small to mid-sized businesses, you know, the owners of the organizations, the founders, they have a lot of skin in the game, right? And and I think when business is horrible, right, and it's not going well, then it impacts your personal life. And I think that's why this is so exciting. Like the work that we do is because you're right, Loretta. It's like when you can elevate people's lives through better business, it, it has such a, a true impact far and wide. 
Absolutely. So switching gears here a little bit, I wanted to talk about your book, Outsizing. Um, I know you've written two books, but I just wanted to focus on Outsizing today. You published it in 2019. And I was just curious, what led you to write this book? I know we've talked a little bit about it in the office, but I was wondering if you could share with our listeners a little bit more about it and what drove you to write it. Sure. I I think there's a, a variety of things. You know, oftentimes people would come to me and they'd say, Hey, do you have a really good business book that can, you know, help me become a better strategic thinker and be more value driven within an organization? And so I would recommend this strategy book and this strategy book. And, and then I would say, but you also need to read this book about finance and you have to read this book about leadership. And there there's really good stuff out there, but nothing that was really integrative. And I think when it comes to business, you know, you have to have a really good strategy right? It, has, it starts a strategy. You have to have leadership and talent, right? To execute on that strategy. And then you have to have financial returns. And I think that's important, you know, whether you're an ESG driven company or not, I think, you know, this idea of driving returns is really important. Like you can't be in business long-term if you don't have the returns. Now, when you bring it all together, right? And you take this integrative approach to business, that's really where, you know, value is derived. And that's why I wanted to write the book is because I wanted to bring all this stuff, all the research, all my experiences, things that actually work out there in the field, bring it together in a book that would give people the playbook that they could read themselves and they could start you know, taking tangible steps to drive greater value in their organizations. And then it goes back to what I just mentioned before, where you know when you're impacting somebody's business, you're impacting their lives. And when you're impacting people's lives, you're impacting their communities. And when you're impacting their communities, you're impacting their towns and their states and their city, you know, and it goes, you know, and their countries and it, it, it gets really, really big. And I think for me, business is a lever that I can help pull with other people to impact people's lives. So that's why I wanted to write it. Yeah, Steve, that's great. I know that I read your book and all of our coworkers have, and it's it's really a great book. It's very valuable. Definitely check it out in the show notes below. Could you possibly describe some of the main ideas of outsizing and kind of your strategy in that book and process? Sure. So the, there's a few you know key ideas that I'll point out. I mean, the, the book is really broken down into six chapters, but I'll just touch on a few things. The first thing that, that I touched on in the book was regarding biases. And I think there's a lot of biases out there because we're human beings, right? We, we naturally have biases because our brain is trying to process millions of pieces of information every single second. It can't possibly do that. Um, so it takes mental shortcuts. And these shortcuts you know, are filled with biases. So we have like these unconscious bias that exist and we're making these decisions. So in the book, I talk about you know humanizing strategy because if you don't get the people side of the strategy right, then you're just going to have this flawed strategy. If a bunch of executives are meeting in a room and they're exercising groupthink, they're all the same, they're not diverse, they're not inclusive, they have all these biases, they think they know everything, but they're really they're plagued with like confirmation bias or anchoring or all these other things that happens to us as human beings, then they're going to create these strategies that are flawed. And if you create a, a flawed strategy and you roll that out to the rest of the organization, it can be really problematic. So that's one thing that I start out with. The other thing that is really important about the book is I talk about this integration of strategy and finance. You know, if you have a strategy and it's really a marketing strategy you know, where you're talking about like mission, vision, values, or it's real gimmicky, real generic, like it could work, but it's not until you integrate it with the financial side of the business. If you don't do that, then you have a real disconnect. Then you just have like a a marketing piece that's fun and gimmicky and generic, but it doesn't really drive value. Conversely, 
if your strategy is just a glorified budget, right? An over-explained budget, then what you're going to have is you're going to have a strategy that's just driven by metrics. And if you do that, you don't really have a strategy, but you have this like profit-driven plan. And when you have that, you run into issues like Wells Fargo ran into or Volkswagen, that's where you, you have to blend the two together. You have to include all these other things, overcome biases, so you have a really good strategy. And then the last piece I'd say is just like unlocking potential. And that's something I'm really passionate about is like, how do you have this group of talent? Like, how do you have these individuals that are excited about the purpose of the organization? Then how do you unlock that potential that exists in all of us? And that's something that I've researched a lot and it's something that I explore in the book. And um, there's a whole section dedicated to that. So that, that's another main concept of outsizing. But brought all together, it, it helps organizations to realize greater value and, and to drive growth, innovation, and resilience. Awesome. Yeah. And I think that really goes to the title as well, like outsize your company with all of those things that you've mentioned. So in conclusion, as far as the market goes, what kind of market trends are you seeing lately? And what do you have for advice for our listeners? Yeah, great question. I, I think the biggest trend, right? Nobody can predict markets. I mean, markets are so difficult to try to predict, but I'll say that one trend that I'm noticing, and there's empirical data to back this observation, is inflation. And so, I mean, we work heavily in construction. And in that space, they're seeing a tremendous increase in commodity pricing. So, for example, lumber is up about 280%, right? Just over the last year, which is crazy. You know, a piece of plywood that used to cost 30 bucks is now $90. Definitely some price increases in, in lumber and in steel uh, and glass and, and other commodities out there that go into building buildings. So this ultimately drives up the cost of buildings, which either drives up the cost of mortgages or the cost of rent, which impacts organizations and individuals. So this is a, a real big thing. There's also wage inflation inc- occurring out there. You know, the average wage with some businesses was around 12 bucks an hour. You know, they're seeing the average wage increase to 15 to 20 to 25 bucks an hour. So, I mean, the wage inflation is, is really a, a big threat. It could devalue currency and, and it could also have other implications on the, the economy abroad. Also, I was listening to um, an interview with the CEO of Kellogg and Stephen Kahalane. He was talking about inflation, not just in like the commodity prices that go into their cereals and other food products, but also in transport and ocean freight. So organizations like Kellogg's who produces like these cereals and these snacks and these other products like Ego waffles, right? They're, they're seeing increases in inflation and they're trying to fight it by being more efficient and more effective to keep their costs down. But ultimately, these prices are going to be driving up their product costs and they be passed on to the consumer. So I think inflation, it can be something that is very dangerous if it gets out of control and if we experience hyperinflation, because in some ways, it's almost like a, a hidden tax that nobody really voted in because it can erode the purchasing power uh, and the capital base of so many people. So I, I think it's something definitely to watch out for. And if you're a business that engages in fixed pricing, if you're giving fixed prices to customers, and especially if that fixed pricing is on projects that are into the future, you have to be really careful. We were working with um, a company here recently, and they saw some of their, their wiring pricing go up by you know $10,000 just on a, a small job. And they, it's not like they could go back to the owner of the project and ask for more money, but it's, it's locked in. So you take that and you multiply it by hundreds or thousands of jobs, and it could have a real huge impact on an organization. Or like wages, for example, 
you know, a company with 50 field employees and they work on average 2000 hours a year. Well, right there, you have a hundred thousand labor hours. And if wages go up by $1, that's a hundred thousand dollars. So if you don't account for that in your bids or in your pricing, you can see a significant cost increase, which will ultimately erode profitability. Thank you, Steve. That's that's some great advice for our listeners. Um, I'm sure they'll really appreciate that. I just want to close with one final question. Who is a strategic financial leader that you really look up to? I know you've had so much experience and so many you've met so many different people throughout your life. So I'm just curious, who's someone that you really look up to and did a really great job in the strategic financial role? So I don't want to shortchange your question because I think I think it's a really good question. And I don't mean to cop out on this, but really, you know, when I think about you know, who has been really impactful in my life and like, who do I look up to? I can't really, you know, name one specific person because I think it's a variety of people, you know, whether it was Michael Easton, when I was working at Ernst & Young, he was a senior manager and he was a, a great mentor. He taught me so much, not just about like the accounting side, like the technical side, but you know, how to be a really effective leader. He's a very humble person, very smart, very ambitious, and he knows how to lead uh, teams very effectively. Or there's Bob Howell. You know, I, I met him at Tuck um, up at Dartmouth, and he is really this um, pioneer in strategic financial leadership. He taught me a ton. Or Sidney Finkelstein, you know, who, who wrote the book Super Bosses. Or whether it's other CFOs that I've been in, in contact with, whether it's through, you know, peer groups or in other settings. I mean, there's just so many people. I, I've been very blessed throughout my life to rub shoulders with all these people, and they, they teach me so much, right? And I try to pick up one or two things that I admire about them and try to incorporate those things into my life to be a little bit better. But I would say like, I, there's no way I would even be where I am today without all these people that have influenced me. You know, both women and men have had a tremendous influence on my life. There's a lot of women leaders who I've worked with who have taught me, you know, just how to be really effective, how to be organized, how to be empathetic, you know, how to be decisive, how to think differently. Right. And, and so I value all these people in my life who have taught me. And I I would say the same thing with, you know, to the listeners out there, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about, you know, this podcast and interviewing so many people is because I think as we hear different perspectives from different people, we, we each grow, right. And, And we can learn from that. Like it's all about people. It's all about getting ourselves out there and having these relationships with them, individuals and just expanding our horizons. And I can tell you I'm friends and I'm connected with young people, old people, women, men, people of all different races, backgrounds. I mean, it it doesn't matter to me. Like I love that diversity um, in my relationships and I've learned so much and it helps me to become a a more empathetic person as I can incorporate more of these perspectives into my life. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's a cop, but I think that's a great answer actually. Um, I think that really goes back to your point about communication, which we were mentioning earlier. You can really take any lesson from any bit of communication that you have someone, whether that be just riding the elevator, grabbing a glass of water. I mean, like you said, those relationships are really valuable and can really teach you a lot. Um, so that's great that you've had the opportunity to have those meaningful relationships and that you've learned a lot from them. And I'll say this, Lorette, I mean, it, this podcast has been uh, such a blessing in my life. And I, I know you really enjoy working on this uh, podcast as well. But to like all the audience listeners out there who um, constantly tune in, who download these episodes, who share uh, this podcast with their friends, you know, how grateful I am to all these people, because this is what allows us to 
build a community around this topic. It's, and it's a very important topic because it's not just about being a financial leader who's strategic. It's about being a leader who incorporates the strategy piece, the financial piece, and just like leadership principles and to help them become a better person to drive greater value in organizations and in people's lives. So I'm very grateful for all the listeners and for all the support that we get on the show, because this is something that we're really passionate about and we're really excited about. So thank you everybody for your support. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, Like Steve said, we really appreciate the community that this has built um, and we look forward to continuing to build it. So don't forget to comment or rate or review the podcast and like it. Um, We really appreciate all of that and any feedback that you have to transform our show and make it better. We always appreciate that. Well, great. Yeah. Lorette, it's been um, fantastic to have you on the show today. Thanks for your questions and for your conversation. And maybe we'll do more of these into the future. So I appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Steve. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. If there's any way I can be helpful to you and your business, or if you have feedback or ideas regarding this podcast, shoot me an email at contact at I would love to connect. All the best. Thank you.